Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's Lamarvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Friday, September 25th, recording this on Thursday, September 24th. For anyone watching live, my name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by Spencer Schultz, and uh, it's the first of what are probably going to be a few rivalry, rivalry weeks here in the NFL for the Ravens. I don't know. can't really call it a rivalry when you haven't beat the Chiefs in five years, four years. Look at this guy five all years? of us all of a sudden making the turn. I love it. Yeah, you uh, you can't really call it a rivalry. Let's see. When was the last time the Ravens beat the Chiefs? I believe Jimmy Clausen lost in. Oh, I was at that game. They lost twenty fifteen. I can't recall if they won one in twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen. Twenty twelve might be the last time when the Chiefs were like zero and or two and fourteen. They did play in the playoffs. I recall them beating the crap out of the Chiefs when they had Dwayne Bow and and that team back in that was like two thousand ten. But it's been a while, I think. I think. So if they're able, if the Ravens win this game, it officially becomes a rivalry in my eyes. I think they beat them in 2014. Maybe I'm wrong. Did they? Let's see. Ravens Chiefs 2014, 2012, 2015. Yeah, I don't think they've beat them in a long time. Okay. Yeah, they, they haven't played them all that much. The last three years, weirdly, they've played them all three years, counting this one, I guess. So uh, it, maybe the NFL is trying to... 20, uh, 2012 was the last time. Yeah, they were 2-14. and 14. They picked Eric Fisher first overall the, the following draft. So yeah, it has been a while since they got that dub. Uh, it's more of a one-sided Ravens fans maybe see it as a rivalry, which I do talk about with our guest here. Uh, and yeah, Chiefs fans maybe not so much, but uh, if the Ravens can get this thing done, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it feels like the Ravens have the pieces up front and in the secondary. I mean... Last year, the Ravens walked out of Kansas City with a five-point loss with a terrible, terrible... Maurice Kennedy, Anthony Averett as kind of the cornerback, two, three, and they didn't have Marcus Peters. They hadn't even acquired Josh Bynes and LJ Fort yet. The Chiefs ran all over them to daylight, able to do whatever they wanted underneath some of those things. So it became... 
out of control. The Chiefs had a 24 to 6 halftime lead. Didn't go the same way as it did in 2018, where the Ravens really kind of stuck it to the Chiefs a little bit. Pressured Pat Mahomes 40 times, hit him, I believe, 18 times total. And the Chiefs were bailed out by that unbelievable fourth and nine play that I fully still blame on Eric Weddle. So different feel last year. The Ravens were able to come back a little bit. Everyone says the Ravens can't play from behind, but 24 to 6 at halftime turned into 33 to 28. And the Ravens had them on third down there. And that Andy Reid, you know, kind of heartbreaking double screen ended up getting a first down. The Ravens, if they were able to get a stop there, would have had the ball with no timeouts and about 50 seconds left. So a chance to to push them at the end of the game there. But a lot of people don't remember it that way for some reason. I guess they kind of tuned out after halftime, saw the Chiefs had a big lead. So I think that the Ravens and the Chiefs play some tough, fun games. It's going to be a pinnacle game, according to ESPN. This is the first time that two teams on a regular season win streak of eight games or more have met since 1979. And it's happening on Monday night after a fantastic Monday night game this week. Such a fun game to watch the Las Vegas Raiders and the New Orleans Saints. So this is probably the biggest game of the regular season for the Ravens, especially early on. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's kind of weird that it's coming in week three in that sense. Uh, it did feel like people were going to have it circled on their calendars. Going back to when the schedule came out, which was right in the heart of COVID, it's like, yeah, this is a week three game. Feels like it probably could have been maybe midseason at the very earliest, but uh, they went ahead and made this the uh, the marquee Monday night football matchup for week three. So that's at least something. And uh, of course, the one time the Ravens get a Monday night football game in Baltimore, no fans will be in attendance. The irony is heavy and it, it's funny. It You have to look at it that it's funny. Harbaugh is uh, pointed out to that, that, hey, it's 2020. This is this is just a little tiny sample of what we've been dealing with uh, for everybody. And it just figures that not even, you know, 5,000 people could be there, 2,000 people could be there, something like that, so that somebody gets to experience it and can kind of give that Baltimore game day primetime experience because it is a special one. The Ravens play so well only with one loss under John Harbaugh in the regular season in primetime games. Absolutely. And uh, this is going to be every bit the uh, heavyweight matchup that people think it's going to be. And uh, in light of that, we did want to get an extensive preview. So uh, we've got an interview coming at the end of the show between me and Carrington Harrison from CBS Sports Kansas City. Uh, He sat down with me for about 20 minutes to preview this one. And uh, before we jump into that, we wanted to do a little bit of mailbag. It's been a long time since we opened the old mailbag. So I figured we'd shoot that out into the ether and see what we came back with. Got some on Twitter, got some on Instagram. It's uh, going to be a fun one. Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get into it. As we do have an interview on the back end of this episode, we'll try and stay a little bit efficient. Uh, Joe Bokeninge JC off of Instagram comes in and says, have the Ravens lost faith in Ben Powers? And what is the Baltimore Beatdown podcast drink of choice? Have the Ravens lost faith in Ben Powers? I don't think they've lost faith yet. I think he's still developing and I think they see a role for him eventually here with, you know, them trying to, to seek solutions and, I feel like he would come in in case of injury and and I feel like he is capable of playing at a uh, at least an average level and we don't know exactly why the Ravens elected to go the way that they did but they did and now we see Tyree Phillips out there mixing it up picking up blocking picking up stunts uh, using his length in the run game lost a couple reps but I think for some reason his struggle has been blown out of proportion and I don't think he's struggled all that much uh, the Ravens just kind of look frantic at times they they play really fast Lamar Jackson obviously is really fast and it's, it's difficult to block for him, but Ravens offensive line has not been called for holding, I believe. I believe the NFL is through a two-week low in holding calls as well. I saw a, from 
uh, Ian Rappaport, if I recall correctly. So I think the Ravens offensive line is doing a solid job and powers might not just have that size. It seems like they really want to be able to crash off that right side of the line. And my drink of choice is, I don't know. I like, I like IPAs and I like tequila. Those are my, my go-tos. For me, I am a whiskey boy when it comes to liquor. I, I really don't touch liquor too often. Um, but you're a huge beer guy. Huge. We're both big seltzer guys too. Yeah. I'm more seltzer. Yeah. It's very seasonally dependent. So during the summer I do like the seltzers and, uh, sort of the lighter, maybe not lighter necessarily by volume or anything, but uh, lighter tasting flavors. But yeah, I do like IPAs. I like a little bit of flavor in the summer getting heavily into fall beer season. So the kid is going into the uh, shipyard pumpkin ales right now. Those are pretty darn good. And uh, a lot of different IPAs also a big Guinness guy. So, uh, even before, they made their U.S. headquarters here in Baltimore, the only other brewery in the world outside of St. James Gate in Dublin. Always been a big Guinness guy. So the kid likes him uh, a nice pint of Guinness, and it's going to be, uh, that's more of my winter drink of choice. So I go little fall beer IPA, you know, type of thing with the uh, the fall, obviously. Summer, a little fruitier IPA and seltzers, and uh, winter Guinness boy liquor whiskey. Love to hear it. Moving on, we have a couple interesting questions from our favorite Nico Cantalupo. Hey, hey I'm walking over here. Nico asks, "Biggest th- what is the biggest thing that we need to execute on, the Ravens need to execute on, to beat the Chiefs? In my opinion, it is third down efficiency and red zone efficiency. The Chiefs have allowed five of six opponents' drives in the red zone to result in a touchdown. That is very low in the league. It's a small sample size, but have converted six of their nine nice opportunities to go into the end zone and that is going to be a big 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 key the other one is not letting up deep shots on defense it's the backbreaker the chiefs were basically smothered by the chargers chargers dropped a lot into coverage they have a great four-man rush definitely better than the ravens four-man rush so the ravens might not have that luxury the ravens will probably try to create pressure by overloading one side, but not actually blitzing, only sending four defenders, three of which to two gaps or one side of the offensive line. And that way it appears that they're they're blitzing. They're not. And if you go back to 2018 and recall what Patrick Mahomes said about the Ravens, he said that they threw looks at him that he'd never seen. We saw Chuck Clark nab a pick in his first career start in that game when Mahomes had no clue what he was looking at, rolls to his left a little bit, starts to drift, and just lobbed up a, a meatball to about 15, 20 yards downfield. And Chuck Clark just it was to Chuck Clark with no one around. So Mahomes obviously picked up on some things last year. The Ravens didn't have the defensive personnel, but now they do. They have Marcus Peters. They have Marlon Humphrey. They have Jimmy Smith. They have Chuck Clark. Uh, I think Deshaun Elliott gets tested in this one heavily. But what I was getting at is that the Chargers smothered Mahomes and he just makes that incredible 50-some yard touchdown or 50-some yard. Yeah, it was a touchdown throw, right? Um, in... Hill rolled into the end zone, and he oh yeah, on the the, against the Chargers. Yes, yeah, he rolled out. He had two rushers in front of him, and of course, with that stupid arm of his, he just launched it up there. Hill caught it with two defenders, basically. I wouldn't say draped on him, but they were pretty much step for step, and he rolled on in. Right, he yeah, he, Hill had one one foot of separation, like one step of separation, and it was right on him. So those are going to happen eventually. If you Harbaugh was talking about how the Chiefs play well from behind. They're going to get a shot if they're playing from behind eventually. It's just a matter of uh, being in the right place and, and limiting it as opposed to letting it be untouched. We saw Miko Hardman in the Ravens matchup in 2019 just run a seam right up the seam uh, a go and 78-yard touchdown, 76-yard touchdown, something like that. 
relatively untouched blown coverage assignments. So not having blown coverage assignments is imperative. And those are those are some of the keys in the game. Of course, the turnover battle, as always, especially in games like this, the Ravens have one turnover so far, and they forced five. They lead the NFL in turnovers, and they've had the least amount of turnovers. So they uh, they're doing well there. And those are the things that are going to end up establishing who wins this football game. If the Ravens can score in the red zone, if the Ravens can sustain drives on third down, keep the Chiefs off the field, and whoever wins turnover battles, those are the the keys of the game for me. I like those technical answers. I'll give you a little bit less of a technical one, and that's just to stay patient. So uh, this is kind of an interesting one where Tom Brady always gives an anecdote about playing in a Super Bowl. And when he was younger, he kind of allowed the emotion of it to just wash over him. And he spent the entire day just like basically wallowing in nerves and working himself up. And he learned as he got older that, and he played in more of them, that you really have to like stay patient, stay, keep everything in front of you and just like basically keep a cool head and that'll allow you to perform better in the game. I think uh, this obviously doesn't have the weight of a Super Bowl, but it's a pretty big game. So the Ravens can't allow themselves to get keyed up and get out of the things that they need to do, which as far as staying patient from a technical perspective, I think it means sticking to the things that are going to work for you, which for me, I think rushing up the middle, the Chiefs have shown that they can be exploited a little bit in that sense. In that first game, David Johnson broke one against them in the uh, game Last week, you had guys like Eckler and uh, some of the the other Chargers running backs breaking uh, big runs up the middle. And then, like you mentioned, not letting the big plays break open behind you on defense, which uh, they really only let happen once, the Chargers, and it cost them the entire game. So you just have to stay patient if you're the Ravens. Absolutely. And then Nico added on, how is this third matchup different from the first two? Which is such a good question uh, to go kind of meta and just think about it that way. The Chiefs are a better coached football team. They execute better. Their offensive play calling the way that they execute their plays is cleaner more efficient uh they're just in sync as a team much more their defense has chris jones has tyron matthew frank clark of course as well not a ton of really you know ballers other than that right now bashad breeland their top corner out so they do have an inside pressure and an outside pressure player uh they, they have a pretty good pass rush overall of course one of the better if not top pass rushes in the nfl but their back seven is not you know killing anyone right now. They do have Tyron Matthew. He is a great player. That's not up for debate. But other than that, on the on the actual perimeter, nothing crazy impressive. Their linebacking core is, is relatively average with Willie Gay, who's still really inexperienced despite being an explosive athlete. So being able to exploit those matchups is interesting. And just on the offensive side of the ball, general answer is they execute really well. They they run screens. They, th- they have play designs that are very well sold and executed. They're able to sneak guys out into the backside of coverage away from plays and do throwbacks and screens and things like that. They lie to you. They they are fraudulent with their first couple of steps. A lot of times they, they make your eyes tell lies. They get you flowing the wrong way and then attack you the other way. Uh, Mahomes hasn't really been airing the ball out a ton yet. His average air yards intended is, I think, like 17th right now, something like that. So he hasn't really been crushing the deep ball. But teams don't let him. So... He's been doing a good job taking what's underneath, and I think that's a little bit different than what the Ravens have seen the first two games. Yeah, I think he's uh, somewhere around two uh, points something as far as uh, yards per play as opposed to like the five something that he was at last year. So it's under half. So definitely uh, different, a little bit explosiveness wise through these first two games. What else we got? LL Cool J with an underscore first asks, do you guys like the possibility of trading for a player such as Desmond King? Yes. That is right player, right price. If I can trade him, trade a third, fourth, fifth round pick, get Desmond King, another versatile piece. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want to write Tavon Young off, but at this point it's, it's, he can't stay healthy. 
and that's that's a bad contract. It's not a you know a backbreaker of a contract at all. But with the Ravens valuing their secondary so much, they're going to test the waters if Desmond King you know is is still frustrated there. If the Chargers lose a couple games, I really like the idea of uh, acquiring another player. They're going to see what Anthony Averett can do again with you know playing probably 30 percent of defensive snaps. And if they can't, then yeah, I think they should go get a slot corner, someone who can provide some versatility as a pass rusher as well. He's good in the box, he's a good tackler. So right player, right price. I think Eric DaCosta will make that call. And in two or three weeks, if the Ravens aren't able to answer it and answer their problems in house. Yeah, rookie deal. So right place for right to price for sure. And definitely right player, uh, young, energetic, explosive guy gets the ball in his hands a lot, which I think is important, especially in replacing a guy like Tavon Young, who did the same thing. So I would love a Desmond King move. I'd be interested to see what the Chargers do with that. Uh, because they are in a spot where they could maybe contend as early as next year. So maybe they do want to hang on to him, depending on what happens here with Justin Herbert and his development. But uh, yeah, intriguing situation for sure. And I would take him if they could get him. Yeah, of course. He's a very talented player. Uh, one of probably the best slot cornerback in the NFL over the last couple of years. Moving on. Why is Patrick Ricard such a god? Casey Pickett 42 asks. I'm not sure if their number is 42 because of Patrick Ricard, but if so, that's awesome. Uh, he's just a big boy. He's a bull in a china shop. How can we be sure that isn't Patrick Ricard himself on a burner account? Because we know he's he's a big fan of the show. I think he's loud enough on social media where he doesn't need to do a burner. He's a wild boy. He is a little bit. Yeah, he is a little bit of a wild boy. Um, but uh, Steve O. Why is he a god? I, he just is, man. You can't explain some of the stuff. You can't explain gods. So. Yeah, I've been doing a great job. Other than that. he, uh, he actually missed a big assignment. It looked like I did my film breakdown on YouTube. I have an article coming out shortly that contains that as well. And that first JJ Watt sack on the Ravens second drive looked like him and Orlando Brown, Orlando Brown was supposed to give JJ Watt a little punch and then pass him off to Ricard and then leave the outside linebacker unblocked for Lamar Jackson to run a boot with 57 in his face. But instead they let JJ Watt come through, which bottled the play up made Lamar Jackson have to kind of put his eyes down and tuck the ball and then ended up getting a sack. But other than that, in the fumble, he's been rock solid. He did Heroes absolutely. Uh, he absolutely buried a dude on that Ingram Wildcat touchdown too. Just to, yes, just he to be he there. laid down flat on top of him and said, "Shh, good night, good night, have a good sleep, sweetie, bye." Uh, but anyway, moving on. B Rose nine thirty one. Our boy asks, "Any young players you guys could see having a breakout performance in this game?" I I'm I'm I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find a prop on him, but I'm our DraftKings after this. I'm taking Devin Duvernay on the motherfucking over for whatever receiving yards it could possibly be, even if it was up to like 45. I think that the Ravens have been hiding him and not throwing him the ball yet, waiting for this Chiefs game. He is flying down the field on the outside. The Chiefs don't have you know crazy corner now. Their top corner is out, like I mentioned. We also hear Lamar Jackson talk about how uh, you, you know they want him flying under the radar. They are saving a deep shot or two for this Chiefs game. That is good coaching. That is preparing for a team you know is coming down the pipeline. He, if you watch him on kickoff, he is 10 yards ahead of everyone else. If you watch him run a nine, a go route, he is flying past corners a little bit. They're just using him to run coverage off on the backside, but I think they're going to dial up a couple shots for Duvernay, kind of have some looks that would be similar based on what they did in week one and week two to indicate that the ball is going to go to Mark Andrews or it's going to go to Marquise Brown. And then they're going to end up shooting for Dever Duvernay, pardon me. And I think that he's going to have an awesome game. Yeah. And I think that's backed up by the fact that when he has touched the ball, it's only been two or three times, but he's looked like an absolute pro player out there. 
a little bit of a far cry from some of the receivers we've seen in the Ravens draft. He just looks like maybe not the most physically dominant out guy out there, but he is the total finished package, I think, right now. That's what he's going to be. He's and, uh, well polished. Yeah, yeah he's ready exactly. To play. And uh, yeah, I think this is a good game for him. Me personally, I think this is the Gus Dobbins game. I think you get the one-two punch of uh, Gus just plunging up the middle, maybe the most underrated running back in the NFL right now. I think it was Ryan Clark was making the observation that they just hang yep. on to him for the fourth quarter, and then he just salts the game away, just rushes up the middle like a battering ram. I think he's going to get a lot of touches up the middle. I think Dobbins is going to be your outside sort of perimeter guy. The Chiefs have shown they can be exploited in the run game, and the Ravens are the team to do it with this stable of backs. I think Ingram's going to maybe make a few plays, but those two guys would be my uh, my young guys that break out. I guess Gus has already broken out in some capacity, but uh, I think this is a big Dobbins game at the very least. Yeah, I, I love Gus Edwards. I just love him. So according to Next Gen Stats, he, he had 10 carries last week. Five of those were against an eight-man box or more. He ends up running for 2.31 yards over expectation, over what the average run would be on that given play based on positions on the field and everything like that. Uh, 50% of those runs went for more yards than expected. And he's just a first down machine, man. He's so efficient. He spends such little time, but there's such little wasted motion. He consistently always gets past the line of scrimmage. He's so good in those short run situations. So this really is a three headed monster at running back. We saw Dobbins, you know, athleticism, elusiveness, his natural ball skills, all that stuff on display his physicality. But I think he's still getting integrated into the offense, but those manufactured touches, he is so dangerous on. We saw them just get him the ball in space at the end of the game. Holy crap. Made a couple guys miss so smooth, so fast, so explosive, definitely way more explosive than Mark Ingram looks. Um, I agree. Ingram looks a little, you know, he's, he's a vet. He's a, you know, 30 plus vet. He's still really good. He's still a highly effective player, but he's not, you know, an explode. He never really was an explosive speed guy, but Looks like he's lost a step, but is continuing to make up for that in savvy. We heard Matt Weiss, the Ravens running backs coach, talk about how uh, he thinks Ingram's going to be effective for a couple more years because the things that make him good aren't dependent upon explosiveness and losing a step and things like that. So I really like that uh, question that Matt Weiss answered a couple weeks ago. Moving on, Gorsucha08, who do you think covers Tyreek and Kelsey? It seems that Kelsey is always open. Who do you who do you like in matchups that way? And how do you? Th- the better question is how do the Ravens kind of limit those guys as opposed to maybe just one guy being on them i think you don't get cute i think humphrey has shown the ability to stick with some of these best guys so you stick hill with him and try to make it work um so i go tyreek hill covered by marlon humphrey uh i want marcus peters to get some interesting looks that's going to be able to get him open and maybe make a play on the ball here so not really sure how that's going to happen but i do want to see peters uh get put into the right spots in this one as far as kelsey I don't know, man. Like, I really have no idea. Maybe Chuck Clark, maybe you like double him with Clark and a linebacker, but it just feels like he's going to get his in this game. I think he's going to get his underneath at the very least. It's, it's Again, you just have to try and limit the big play from Kelsey. So I'd probably maybe try to double him, but I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. I would kind of put Marcus Peters, unless, of course, the Chiefs, obviously there'll be snaps where Hill and Kelsey are on different sides of the field, but, or excuse me, if, if they'll be on the same side of the field, but if Hill and Kelsey are lined up on one side of the formation, I'm putting Marcus Peters on the opposite end in a flat responsibility or just with like a running back responsibility into the flats if it's man coverage or something. And I'm trying to undercut Kelsey with Peters and see if he can go sky and, and make a crazy catch. Uh, you know, Patrick Owasso did that last game, last year and just couldn't get up high enough to get the ball in the air. And it, it went 
a centimeter above Owasso's fingertips. But I like what they did with Owasso there. Kelsey ended up catching that ball, but undercutting Kelsey with Peters feels like a way to get a pick. Um, and then, yeah, Marlon, I, I, you don't, the Ravens don't like because they have two highly paid, highly valuable cornerbacks. They don't like to shadow, but I don't trust Marcus Peters to really hang with Tyree Kill the same way that I do Ty, uh, Marlon Humphrey. And it, Marlon Humphrey has that recovery speed that I think exceeds what Peters is able to do a little bit. So uh, it's going to be those things. It's going to be trying to, you know, combo coverage. Kelsey have two or three defenders kind of in zone coverage and, and just get ahead of him and behind him and, and try and make tight throws. And if they can convert those, that's that's why they get paid big bucks. Mahomes five hundred million, Kelsey what hundred million. Hide hide so, Peter hide Peters a little bit and let him go get that pick at some point that you know he desperately wants to get. Of course, he desperately was. Fun fact: Marcus Peters actually had a pick six again at that game that you attended. <laughs> he sure did, bud. On Clausen, yeah, Jimmy Pickles. picked Jimmy Clausen in Baltimore, took it to the house. Pick six. It was sick. That was his rookie year. It was his rookie year. That's when he really broke out. Uh, Alex Smearman moving on. Alex Smearman also asks, could Miles Boykin be the next Anquan Bolden? No. No, they're different. He can't be the next Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden was just innately a alpha. And I think we see that in the blocking game from Boykin a lot. But Boykin is still learning. He's talked about it. He's still learning how to use that mentality that he has as a blocker as a receiver, he kind of plays this small ball receiver with a really he long has, frame. So he has like three inches and who knows how many pounds on Bolden and he plays like 10, 20 pounds lighter than him, which is fine. They're just different styles of player. So he's probably not going to be a Bolden. I think maybe best case scenario, you'd look at somebody like Keenan Allen. I don't think he's quite going to be that, but just more of a finesse open space type of game. Yeah, he has a unique friend. I think like AJ Green is the maximum of everything in Boykin's career went right. He would be like a lank. He's like a lanky finesse receiver that knows how to the AJ Green knows how to use his body and then mauls people in the run game. But Bolden was just it, 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 he didn't have to separate. He was one of a kind. He, Bolden was the exception. He ran a four seven. Uh, he didn't need to separate because he would just dunk on people and you can't bank on people being that exception. And, and Boykin has not shown anything in that uh, regard, but I think Boykin had his best game last week. I think the Ravens love the way that he played last week. He runs a mean slant. He has such good agility as a route runner, but still kind of inefficient in his path to the ball on some deeper throws. We've seen he's not smooth getting to the catch point and tracking the ball on some deeper concepts. Um, I do want to see them air the ball out this week and take some shots with him. feels like the chiefs will probably try to, give Hollywood Brown a little special attention because they know he has that speed, but this could definitely be a big miles Boykin week moving on Adam throughout Jones for three fifty seven. our five time gold Glover asks, or first he says, Hey, I've been waiting for captain Jake and Dr. King Schultz to open the bag. We've been waiting to hear your questions, Adam, how hype are you for the game? And one thing you're looking from for from Lamar and Mahomes each, then he has another question. So what are you looking Jake from this game for? Uh, out of Lamar and Mahomes. Well, first things first, I'm very hyped. So let's get that out of the way. I think this is going to be an excellent game. Um, the fact that it is so early in the season, I think does sort of change the stakes a little bit. I think these are two teams that, as our guest is going to put it, have bigger fish to fry. Uh, but yeah, very excited for the game. As far as looking for from Lamar and Mahomes, that's an interesting one. Uh, from Lamar, Maybe a little bit more in terms of what we saw in week one, sitting back in the pocket, being surgical, because I think he's going to have the opportunity to 
Uh, pick apart this this front seven at the very least. If you get like a Mark Andrews covered by one of these linebackers who doesn't quite have the pace to hang with him, uh, looking for him to hit Mark Andrews and work the middle of the field like he's so good at doing. Uh, as far as Mahomes, um, I'm looking for him to hopefully turn the ball over, uh, not complete any deep passes and play like shit. I think that Mahomes is looking to looking for blood against the Ravens. I think he is sick of hearing the Ravens hype train. Hasn't yeah, I know, I, especially Patrick Mahomes, the guy like he he doesn't really get enough hype or, you know, recognition. So especially, uh, you know, some other team and other quarterback is going to get, you know, any he he can't allow that. Right. He's got to come out and silence the haters. Right. Everyone's doubting him. Well, he hasn't gotten a lot of attention. He hasn't thrown the ball downfield a ton until last week and made a spectacular play. But I, I think that he two weeks without attention. Yeah, <laughs> I think he kind of fucking hates the Ravens, to be honest. Feelings starting to get a little mutual here. Yeah, of course. And in terms of Lamar, what I hope for is I hope for calmness in the pocket. I think we saw him get a little rattled by, you know, the Texans running behind him. And and it might have been because he doesn't want to get stripped, which is great. He didn't. He didn't turn the ball over. That is the best thing that he could have done in this last game was keep the drive alive, maintain the possession, not give the Texans a short field, not turn the ball over because this defense is generating so many turnovers. So I want to see him be calm in the pocket, two hands on the ball, and just read, read the field, understand where the defense is moving. Sometimes some of these check down options, some of these, you know, guys who weren't the primary read are wide open in this offense because Hollywood Brown and Mark Andrews demand so much attention. So stay aware of those. I also want to see the damn backs get into the flat fast. Don't waste time. If you're supposed to get in the flat chip, if it's there, if not get into the damn flat because Lamar works so quickly, if you're not being efficient, he's not going to look at you and he's not going to read you. So I want to see open checkdowns. I want to see the backs get out of the backfield if they're supposed to be. Uh, I think that they were kind of lollygagging a little bit too much uh, over these first two games, something that we also saw on tape last year. They need to get to their spots quickly for Lamar. That will give him security in the pocket as well. Um, and overall, I just I just want to see him ball. I just want to see primetime Lamar ball. It's time for him to prove that he can beat the chiefs that he's he's you know worthy of whatever consideration and and silence all these people about how Lamar can't play with them can't play from behind blah 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 all that shit Lamar Jackson has never lost to the same team three times uh he or excuse me he's never lost to the same quarterback three times Sean Watson beat him twice uh he has lost to Patrick Mahomes twice so don't want to see Patrick Mahomes be the first quarterback to beat him three times. I'm with you. Mo- moving on, we'll try and get over to whatever we had on Twitter. So I'll try and find a good one. Jay Reinhardt 87 asks. We have two more that I want to get to. We'll we'll get there. Get through these quickly. Jay Reinhardt 87. How do Ravens handle Chris Jones with a rookie right guard? Use his aggression against him. Let him through. Cut him. Wham blocks. Trap blocks. Uh, let see if you can. Make him the player in the backfield. Use try and let him through. Make him that read player and do football judo. Use his aggression and momentum against him. Uh, try and see if you can get him working side to side instead of downhill. And give Tyree Phillips help. You know, if if Chris Jones is a problem, you need to have Boyle in the backfield to deal with to steer him and help. Uh, using Boyle, using Ricard, using those guys is going to be a key and trying to steer plays away. If you get Frank Clark and Chris Jones, same side check to the other side. Don't, you know, 
run into the the teeth of their defense, their two best players. So I want to see them use his aggression against him. Yeah, I think um, get him frustrated, maybe run the other way a little bit. Like I mentioned, I think they're going to have some success running the ball. So maybe if he's lined up right, run it left, run it left, run it left, get him frustrated, get him chasing, and then hit him with that play action, get Lamar some uh, some wide open looks back there to maybe make a big throw, just frustrate him. And with Orlando Brown and Tyree Phillips, when they work a combo block, they work a damn combo block. They crush people. Those are two massive, strong, mobile human beings. When they double team someone inside, if Chris Jones is lined up at the three tech or at the one tech over there on that right side of the line, move him off the ball. They got their guys feet in the air. Use Nick Boyle to combo block down on those on Chris Jones. Um, if he's lined up in the five tech, Orlando Brown and Nick Boyle, bring Boyle over, move Chris Jones out of the way. Those two guys can move anyone in the NFL. I have seen it at this point. Orlando Brown and Nick Boyle crack inside, move anyone in the NFL. I'm positive of that. For so all the talk about the this offensive line and the struggles they've had, the talent may not be there like it's been in past years. These guys are working their ass off, and you can tell in some of those plays, and you can tell with the job that Joe D has done uh, with this unit over the last couple of years, ever since he joined this coaching staff, it's been, uh, they have not been lacking for effort. Absolutely. They have such a complex scheme. There's so many different assignments, so many different types of blocks, guys pulling basically everyone except for Orlando Brown pulls. Uh, that is because he's so freaking big. You don't see guys that big pull, but everyone has to be able to pull both ways. They use Tyree Phillips to pull in pass protection and seal the backside while they kind of, shift to the opposite end. So, or I guess to the right, usually if he's pulling. So a lot of usage there doing some things like that, getting different guys moving and doing everything you can to confuse Jones, give him different looks. Don't just let him, you know, engage one-on-one and work because he's going to win that way, way, way more than most guys will. To our final question from Instagram, John Amos, my boy asks, are the Ravens going to be able to sign in the long term, Marlon, Stanley, Lamar, and Andrews? And my answer is yeah. I think that those guys are definitely all able to be signed. That means that Judon is gone, and I think they can definitely retain those guys. They are going to have enough cash. The TV deal is going to go up. Lamar is under control next year and the year after still. So you know that means you're giving him a signing bonus at some point in the next two years, and then you're not going to have those huge cap hits until 2023, probably 2023, 2024. I think if Andrews stays relatively healthy, they're not, you know, tight ends don't break the bank too much, but they can, the, the Ravens are pretty cash heavy. They haven't spent a ton of money aside from Earl Thomas and some other ancillary guys, you know, Marcus Peters is another one too. That they spent a lot of money on not a lot of tough, big contracts. So I think that they'll be able to sign all those guys for sure. And Orlando Brown's not mentioned in there, but I think they'll be able to retain both of their tackles too. Yeah, I agree. It's uh <laughs> If you'd asked me a couple of years ago, like maybe I'd say no, because I, you know, I think it maybe can be an overblown thing that the cap isn't real and everything. But if you look at the evidence, man, look at the Rams, like they're extending freaking everyone all the time. They never have any cap room. Look at the Saints. They're over the cap every single year. And maybe that's a function of them knowing that Drew Brees is going to be gone and they're going to be in rebuild mode pretty soon. So they're just trying to go all in. They're projected to be like 150 million over the cap at some point. So Maybe there's going to be a breaking point, maybe not, but as things stand, the cap really isn't that much of an issue right now. They can sign all these guys, and even if it is like a cash rules everything around me type deal, the Rams just spent however many billion dollars on that stadium, and they're still doing fine. So I think they can. The reason for that is because they have the richest owner in football. When you have a lot of cash flow, when you have actual 
liquid money on hand, you can pay huge signing bonuses. When you pay huge signing bonuses, that allows you to slide those bonuses around the duration of the contract. If a contract is five years, you can give a player a huge signing bonus. He's happy and make his cap hit down the road. Not bad. Or you can put that money down the road and huge bonuses at the end of the contract. So I think we'll see some counterbalancing with maybe Mark Andrews getting paid a lot of money up front and then maybe Lamar Jackson getting paid a shitload of money down the road. Something like that. So sliding those bonuses around. The, the Ravens aren't as rich as the Rams, but they're a lot richer than most teams. Steve Bishotti is not a, not on the bottom half of, of owners in terms of that. The Ravens are one of the top revenue teams in the NFL and in the world. They're in the top 30, I believe, of all sports franchises in the globe, around the globe. So I think that the Ravens have more money than people realize. And the cap is... The cap is a is a hard cap, you know, in terms of a yearly number. But you can spend as you can give guys as much bonuses as you want, and then figure it out later. If you have cash to do that to write those big heavy bonuses up front, you're fine. So that's why the Rams are able to do what they do. The Saints doing what they're doing. Teams like that work, and it's going to be some interesting questions. But that does it for IG questions. Great, great questions all around. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, thank you guys. Had a couple we probably couldn't get to with some time constraints today, but we're going to be able to dive in further, hopefully moving forward. So uh, jumping over to Twitter, first one from the Daily Raven. KC is 23rd in yards allowed per play. How do they take advantage? Can you see a breakout game coming from Hollywood Brown? Uh, I definitely do, man. This uh, Chiefs defense, I think they have some opportunistic tendencies. You saw Legarius Need get an interception in week one. He's their rookie cornerback who's doing a nice job. But I think they can be victimized a little bit. You saw Herbert making some touch throws uh, in week two there. Some of them were a little miraculous. But uh, I think you can definitely get open against these guys. And I think Hollywood Brown is going to be a prime target in this one. Force missed tackles. Be elusive. Don't go down. The Chiefs are second in the NFL in missed tackles through two weeks. The Chargers ran train on them in the open field. They forced a ton of missed tackles. On you, If you take a look at my article that's coming out, the film breakdown on BaltimoreBeatdown.com, I, char- I showed the next-gen stat spray chart of where Justin Herbert threw, and it was a lot underneath. A lot of you know drags, a lot of check downs in the flat, a lot of stuff over the short middle area of the field. And then they made guys miss after the catch. So ball placement, hitting guys in stride, screens, outside runs, getting into the second and third level against the Chiefs. They have Honey Badger. He's a menace. Lamar Jackson made Honey Badger look like a fucking idiot in Kansas City last year on that final touchdown to get the game 33-28. to I mean, absolutely shook the shit out of Honey Badger and Dan Sorensen into the end zone and then gave him a little stare down, even though, you know, Nuts was still losing, so he didn't get too disrespectful, but uh, shook him. So I think that getting good open field production is imperative towards really putting up points against the Chiefs. And the Ravens have guys that can make you miss with all of their backs. Their backs can run through contact or miss. Lamar Jackson is the most elusive player in the NFL. That is backed up by data. If you want to go to SISdatahub.com, you can check that out and go to each player and see what their forced missed tackle rate is. And Lamar Jackson's is number one of anyone with any significant touches. So Having those guys, having guys that can get yards after the after contact, force broken tackles and force missed tackles, if they're able to get rolling, it's going to be a long one. And Mark Ingram was able to make some guys miss and, and run through some contact last year in Kansas City. And I think these backs, you mentioned J.K. Dobbins earlier, Jake potentially having a big game. Uh, Devin Duvernay, get him a couple touches, see if he can break some tackles, things like that. Otherwise, you know, Marquise Brown really feels so far like he is not, he doesn't make guys miss like that. So he's, he's one guy that, you know, 
is able to run after the catch, but isn't hasn't been crazy elusive to this point. He so looks somewhat chaotic he when he catches the ball, weirdly. Like, have you noticed that when he like climbed the ladder last week and he's like kind of wobbling around? It's like, what's going on here? You said he's what? I'm sorry. He's a little chaotic when he catches it. There's kind of like some herky jerk motions, which I think that's a function of how fast and like, you know, twitchy he is. But sometimes right. when he has to climb the ladder and go up and make a off platform catch, he comes down off platform, which can hurt his after the catch ability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he has to go up and grab a ball, it's it's tough to come down and, and immediately stop start again. Um, so we'll see. But missed tackles, not turning the ball over. Those are, are how they can take advantage. I think that the Chiefs aren't going to be able to hold the perimeter when you have Boykin and Boyle and Ricard kind of getting outside the hashes, outside of the tackle box, getting into space and making blocks. They don't have, they have Honey Badger who can take on blocks. Their linebackers are not crazy, you know, they're not, LJ Fort right now running through contact or Malik Harrison running through contact like we see on the other side of the football for the Ravens. But uh, those guys aren't killers, haven't been so far this year. Getting to the perimeter with some running lanes, it could be very dangerous and making sure to take advantage of them, not missing the hole, not missing cutback lanes, being efficient, but also understanding space and leverage. We saw a couple instances where Lamar Jackson didn't read leverage that great. Uh, he followed the play. Then, you know, we saw one outside option keep where Nick Boyle perfectly had the outside. He he sealed back towards the inside. You could see the back of Boyle's jersey if you were Lamar, and then Lamar cut back into into the block for some reason. Um, so some of those things are able to be avoided and, and take advantage of those running lanes. That'll be very important against the Chiefs. Gaz Poole, how much of an impact does an empty bank at primetime make? You have to think the atmosphere is a huge reason we're on a 12-game streak. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree, but it's like, we've been talking about this offline. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, there, no fans, but I mean, there has been, you know, some stuff going around, uh, the league with some of these Seahawks players that were going nuts on the sideline and making noise, uh, which you don't typically see, but they were doing that on that last drive versus the Patriots. Uh, maybe that helps. Maybe it's, uh, the BYOE bring your own energy thing that I'm really loving from, uh, from some of the Ravens players right now. Just, you know, bring your own energy, make it happen. You don't have fans. It's going to be uh, a little bit more of an equal matchup from that perspective. But listen, maybe that'll help them keep emotions out of it and just go out and get things done. So the Chiefs had the Thursday night football game in Kansas City against the Texans. So they had a couple extra days. Then they traveled to LA. LA. Now they travel to Baltimore LA. within seven days. Or eight days, excuse me. Uh, did I say San Diego? No, LA. LA. They were on the 405. Oh, 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 oh I was about to be pissed. I've been pretty good on the, the LA and not San, San yeah, Diego. Uh, no, they were in LA. They were in the hills. Yeah, they were getting they were they the, were Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. Get on the That's where the Chiefs want to be. But so they've had to travel across country. They do get another extra day. So the Chiefs at this point have had four extra days of rest. They have eight from Sunday to Monday, and then they had three extra from Thursday. So a little bit of an advantage there for the Chiefs, but they've had to travel a lot. So they're losing two days to travel. It's a little bit difficult to play back-to-back road games on opposite sides of the country. So a lot of a lot of flyer miles there, and I think the Ravens will be able to to take advantage a little bit. Chiefs might not have you know a billion percent energy, and these are things that are you know not objective. These are opinion based, but this isn't the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. They just won a Super Bowl. This is like the Ravens Super Bowl a little bit. And it feels like a game that they really might be out to prove something at home on Monday night without the fans. Heard the Ravens talk about holding down the bank. They've got to do it. They got to put their money where their mouth is. Uh, the communication lines are clear on the field. So 
you you can't really say that benefits one team or the other, but you're going to hear everything. The offense is going to be able to hear the snap anticipation. You can toy around with snap counts. We saw Lamar Jackson actually force two uh, neutral zone infractions or offsides by the Texans defense on hard counts. That's fucking awesome to do in a quiet stadium. That is awesome. That's something you can't do when you're playing in Kansas city. You have to go with a silent count. You're not able to get guys on the defense to jump when you're playing in Seattle uh, as an opposing quarterback. So being able to take advantage of that, use those things to your advantage against the chiefs and, and make it work. So hold down the bank. Maybe the chiefs don't really fucking care this game quite as much as the Ravens do because Chiefs have bigger fish to fry and and feels like the Ravens really want to fry this fish. Absolutely. Uh, I guess last one we'll get to here with Tavon out. Do you see Mikal Hardman or Sammy Watkins, if he plays, having an abnormally big game, knowing we will game plan to try to contain Kelsey and Hill? I'm going to go with Robinson. He is averaging the most yards of separation per next-gen stats. He's averaging 6.5 yards per separation per route run. At a Dude, that just nobody ever talks about but always has a big game whenever the lights come on for them? Yes, he is the one who benefits. He gets the matchups. I don't think they trust Miko Hardman as a downfield receiver the same way they do with Demarcus Robinson. I think they trust Miko Hardman working side to side, doing jet motion, running some some easy bra- breaking routes. But Demarcus Robinson runs those corner routes, those 15 to 20-yard corner routes, and uh, runs some deep posts, and he works downfield a lot. So I think that he's the guy that can kind of really slip back there. And he did last year against the Ravens, too. He, he had that spectacular one-handed grab on a pretty wide fucking open touchdown uh, where Mahomes kind of missed just a little bit. It was a little overthrown, and Robinson was able to snag it in the end zone with no one within five yards of him. So he seems like the one that benefits from these situations. Whenever you do the flare on the little bit, it makes me think of Mr. Unlimited. Tell just a little bit, Mr. Unlimited. Mr. Unlimited. Hopefully that is going to be Lamar Jackson this coming Monday night. What is your prediction? Ravens at Chiefs 2020. I'm fucking doing it again. I tried. <laughs> <not to>. I, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I thought about the game. I thought about it. I've I've put myself into it. My picks are up on tally site. You guys can go check our picks out there. We get those in. Did you, uh, by the Wednesday way, did night. you happen to do the best out of uh, anyone on that uh, that little thing last week? I, you didn't really like mention it at all or anything. Yeah, that's what someone said. Yeah, I did the best. Many I people know. were saying <laughs> <laughs> tweeted about it twice in like five minutes. Yeah, I, I I didn't realize that I I thought that I like didn't send one, so I pulled the douchebag horn and and was blowing smoke up my own ass listen but, that happens yeah, sometimes. i was the only i was the only fucking person in the country to go 16 and 0 on picks last week go, go, hey CBS, go off ESPN, King. abc all that shit so if you want to follow me on tally site you want to get some gambling winnings going this weekend follow the boys tally site.com uh it's i believe i've tweeted about it twice it might be pinned to my profile right now i can't remember on my twitter spenny's uh, hot tweet out my, yeah spenny picks is in full fucking force right now uh, no, it is my my YouTube content for this week's film breakdown. I talked about the Ravens' first scoring drive. That's pinned, but go to Tally site, Baltimore Beatdown. It's on the Baltimore Beatdown website. You can see our picks. I, I went Ravens. I, I th- Like I said, I think that the Ravens are treating this a little more seriously. The, the Chiefs coming off of back-to-back road games is a lot different than traveling to Kansas City these past two years. The Ravens have been waiting for this game. I've, I feel it. I feel that they have put stuff on film for the Chiefs to take a bite at. Uh, Lamar Jackson's completion percentage over expectation via next-gen stats. I, I fucking love next-gen stats, if you guys can't tell. So they good. are the best. 
their stats, their charts, awesome. But Jackson is currently second in the NFL in completion percentage over expectation. He barely trails Mr. Unlimited, who's also been on fire. Give it to us. It's Mr. Unlimited. Tell him. He has been first, and Lauren Jackson's right behind. Uh, his completion percentage expectation is like 65. Jackson's up at like 80, right about actually like 78, if I recall correctly. So he's been on point with ball placement, with accuracy, and I think he's ready. I think they're ready. They want this one. The defense has weapons that they didn't have each of the last two years when they played Kansas City. They did not have a Calais Campbell. There was no Calais Campbell on this defensive front that is equally as savvy as a guy who can help create pressure for his teammates in terms of taking up two blockers and crashing two blockers to open up twists. We haven't seen a guy that has the length in the run game and the ability to stack and have length to shut down two different gaps. Uh, The secondary with Marcus Peters, the best corner tandem that the Ravens have had over the past three years when they played the Chiefs is Peters and Humphrey. They haven't had those two yet with Jimmy Smith as well able to do some things. Uh, I think that losing Earl Thomas is huge. The Chiefs did not target Earl Thomas deep. I think we see them go after Deshaun Elliott. I think they will hit on Deshaun Elliott a couple times and, and really test those safeties. But the corner play is strong. Rely on those guys. They can generate pressure. They have the second most generated pressure in the NFL right now. And coming off of a tough-ass overtime game for the Chiefs across the country, going to Baltimore is going to be a fucking buzzsaw. And I think this is still a close game, of course. But I think the Ravens are going to look a lot better. And they're they're ready to show the world. Like I said, it's, it's kind of sad in a way because the, they, the Chiefs have won the past two times. This isn't the Super Bowl for the Chiefs. They're not... Going to Baltimore and taking a loss isn't a big deal for them. But to the Ravens, I feel like Kansas City, beating Kansas City is a major focus. I think the coaching staff will be on point. I think Harbaugh is not willing to have any sort of bullshit energy in the locker room this week. I don't know what's going on there. It's his birthday week, but I think they're going to be on point. So I'm going to go Ravens. 27 Chiefs, 21. And the Chiefs have the ball at the end of the game and can't score a touchdown to win it. Well, that didn't work. I was trying to play my Mr. Unlimited clip, but it's not working for some reason. Mr. Unlimited. So we got 27-21 for you. Uh, I'm in a little bit of a different spot in that I've picked the Chiefs the last two times. So I picked them to win in 2018. I picked them to win in 2019. I wanted to approach those games from uh, I'm not picking from an emotional perspective. And listen, I'm not picking this from an emotional perspective. I think the Ravens are ready. I think they're going to get it done here. They're at home. I think they've played consistently better football than the Chiefs so far in 2020. I think they do want this game more, which is, you know, whatever sports radio guy take picking emotionally. I I think that plays in. I think they really want to get this thing done. I think Harbaugh is going to have them ready to go. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, like the Chiefs have been, you know, playing not quite up to par with the Ravens. If you look at DVOA and efficiency, there's a significant gap, I think, between the Chiefs offense and the Ravens defense right now, which is kind of weird, but yep. the Chiefs are just not going. The Ravens defense is the X factor here. The Ravens defense being how, able to create pressure and cover back end is fucking huge. And then having ball hunter like Queen and Clark and Malik Harrison and those guys that can run a little bit in space to the perimeter and make sure that they're not getting crushed out on the perimeter. And you look at some of these game-breaking plays that have happened the last couple times. Tyreek Hill covered by C.J. Mosley for some reason. That essentially cost them the Ravens the game in 2018. They should have won that game. I don't think they should have won last year necessarily, but you have Miko Hardman just breaking open a wide-open 83-something-yard touchdown. Uh, the Chiefs are not going deep nearly as much this season. They had the one play to Hill against the Chargers, which essentially won them that game. 
sometimes that happens, but eventually the ball is going to bounce your way in that respect. And couple that couple with the fact that they just really aren't even going deep in the same way. They're a much shorter kind of small ball offense in the first two games. Teams haven't been letting them, but sure, the, the they they that is a shitty thing to do against the Ravens is to try and get ticky tacky underneath because they are physically dominant up front and they give so many different looks. They drop into shallow zones. They bluff and drop into coverage. Primary reads underneath aren't there. If the Chiefs can't blow the Ravens away deep, that like all game, I think the Ravens win this game. Unless unless they are just assaulting Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark deep. Absolutely. And, you know, they've been efficient running the small ball offense. It's worked for them, but I, I guess very, very efficient. I think they're running into a little bit of a... Uh, little bit of a buzzsaw here. I'm going to go Ravens. Listen, all this talk about the kickers. I'm not a big kicker analysis guy, but uh, I'm going to go Ravens kicker gets it done. Justin Tucker, 38-37 Ravens win. Shootout. Chiefs are still a very strong team, and this game doesn't mean as much to them as it does to Baltimore. I think this might have a bearing on home field advantage, but the Ravens want this thing. I think they get it done in an absolute heart pounder, 38-37. And it, in terms of the the fan perspective, it might be better for the Ravens long term to lose to the Chiefs in in some sort of Mr. Miyagi way. It might have if the Ravens lose this game, which you know I'm not crazy confident in the Ravens, but I'm I'm confident enough to pick them. And if they defeat the Chiefs, or if the Chiefs are able to go into Baltimore on Monday night, expose some issues, make the Ravens you know play from behind. Everyone's gonna be, and if the Ravens lose and Lamar Jackson couldn't come back to win, like all that fucking shit, but it'll give them some experience with it and it'll show. I was telling you, Jeremy, they got to learn how to play from behind there. They can't do it there with Lamar. Got to learn how to throw from behind and win the game. You mean like he did last year and brought the Ravens back from 24 to 6 at halftime to lose by five points in Kansas City? Paul, that wasn't a close game. Yeah, whatever. We're People both just, on the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, look move at the goalposts. We're all for goalpost moving here. That's that's the good stuff. And listen, I I've tried to pride myself on the fact that I pick with my head. That can make me be a little more pessimistic. You know, sometimes I picked the Patriots in the big game last year. I picked the Rams in the big game last year. I was proven wrong both times. I'm picking with my head here, and I think the Ravens are going to get it done. I think so too. I think it. I think it is time. I, I've seen enough. I said I wasn't the Ravens to beat the Chiefs until they do, but they have to. They ha- They can't get sacked on third down if they want to win this game. Lamar has to be efficient in the pocket. Um, they're they're going to need to really create matchups with Mark Andrews inside. And if they the Chiefs take that away, Sneed, Boykin, those guys are going to have to be reliable underneath, and the backs need to get to the flats for checkdowns. They can do those things. I think the Ravens kind of shock people with how well they're able to move the ball in the Chiefs. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun one. Anything else, bud? Nope, nothing else. Excited for this one Monday night. Sad that we can't all be at the bank, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. At least we have football. So don't don't get too upset about the fact that you can't go to the game. There it was a world a couple months ago where it looked like football was very doubtful for this time. So to have this Chiefs Monday night game and have a way better Monday night crew, oh, my God. Lewis Riddick is, you know, they're not the best. They're not the best I've heard. I did love Gruden so much more. He was so much more fun. But this is better than Booger and fucking Witten. They're so very solid. You've we, got, you know, Lewis isn't the most, you know, he doesn't bring the juice necessarily, but very good analysis. I've been campaigning. Level-headed analysis. I've been, I've been campaigning for him to be the analysis since Gruden left, basically. And I think, uh, you know, he's he's not knocking it out of the park from the entertainment standpoint, but very good analysis and always been a big Steve Levy fan. I think he's still kind of finding his feet as far as the big stage and play-by-play, play, sure. but I think he'll get there. I think they're two guys who uh, I really enjoy. And uh, I think Greasy's in there too, right? 
Yeah, Greasy's in there. Yeah, he's you know I I've liked what I've heard from him so far. So yeah, it's 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 a good booth. Yep, and uh, we don't have any crazy comments. In the, in the big fan of the show, always very detailed. Thank you, you guys are a treasure. Ranjith, we love you too. Thanks for listening. Uh, Liam Riddings, let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. MD Law So Hard, checking in to see the drip. The boys are rocking today. Big trust. I don't have any drip today. I'm tired, but we're here. I mentally always have drip. Mentally always have drip. Came That's drip. what I love drip. about you. Don't I can bring it. We'll always bring it for you guys. We love you guys. We love our listeners. Hey, head on over to the podcast, the Apple podcast, and give us those five-star views. Keep us juicing. We're going to keep you guys juiced up. We're, we're trying to get at least two episodes out. We've got two episodes for each of the last two weeks. Uh, we'll probably slip a couple interviews in at some point. We'll probably get an interview with one of the Ravens players when things settle down a little bit in the next couple weeks. Kyle will request with the Ravens PR for us and uh, bring us somebody. So we'll try and, we usually get like younger guys and, and ancillary players. We're not going to get Lamar or anything like that, but uh, we'll try and bring some fun guests on. Appreciate you guys. Head on over to the iTunes review charts, or if, if you're one of our newer listeners, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. Uh, I'll beg for it. I don't even care at this point. But thank you guys so much for listening. Jake, get us the F out of here. Thank you guys for listening. Like he said, follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. Follow me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. Follow Spencer at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four. Check out the website. Going to be dropping the dossier tomorrow. Took a little bit of extra time on that this week. Wanted to really knock it out of the park. So a little Friday release for that. I think I'm doing a pretty good job with it. I love it released on Friday. I like that. That's the perfect day for it to come out. Yeah, exactly. So I think I've been doing a pretty nice job with that. Want to get back into the groove with the writing. And it's been fun so far doing a little bit of a numbers-based thing, a little bit of film-based thing. I'm not an expert on film by any means, but uh, I think I'm starting to learn it a little bit. So uh, yeah, enjoying doing that. Really hope you guys are enjoying it and checking it out. So check that out on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. And uh, be sure to check this site out on YouTube for full video episodes. Uh, if you're not already watching them uh, on the live stream. So, yeah, really appreciate everyone uh, checking us out. Hope you guys enjoy Monday night. Have yourselves a great weekend in the meantime, and we'll talk to you again very, very soon. See ya. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest for this week's preview. It's Carrington Harrison from CBS Sports Radio and 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me, man. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. So first things first, you cover a Chiefs team that's had massive expectations coming into this 2020 season. So far through two weeks, how good of a job do you think they've done of living up to those expectations? It's kind of weird because, excuse me, so much about the Chiefs is evaluating where they are at the end of the season and not the beginning of the season where it's simple survive and advance. I mean, we saw last week in the NFL with the rash of injuries that happened. The Chiefs didn't earn any style points by how they played against the Los Angeles Chargers, but they managed to avoid any significant injury, and you live to play another day. So I think to answer your question, if we're talking about in the micro sense, I don't think they've lived up to expectations, but I don't really know how much that matters with this team. It's about are you playing your best football at the end of the season? How do you look to defend your Super Bowl championship? That's all I think that matters this year for the team. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. And looking back at week two, I mean, the Chargers have a talented roster, division rival and everything, but a rookie QB kind of unexpectedly thrust into the action last week. How surprised were you that they were kind of able to hang in there with the Chiefs, if you were surprised at all? I was really surprised. I thought Kansas City was going to win pretty comfortably. I think they're just a far superior team to where the Chargers are. I will say this. I think the Chargers have the blueprint to give the Kansas City Chiefs trouble. If you think about it, in the Super Bowl, the defensive line of San Francisco sort of neutralized Kansas City's offense for the first 52 minutes of that game. 
I think you saw a very similar game plan from the Chargers in this game where I thought their defensive line did a really good job. I thought Bosa won his one-on-ones against Mitchell Shorts that sort of neutralized the Chiefs' advantage. And they made the Chiefs play uncomfortable. I think you've seen if you want to do two things to beat the Kansas City Chiefs, it's you need to get pressure with your front four, and you probably need to bracket Tyree Kill where – the Chiefs offense was stalled until Tyree Kill got involved in it, and that's what makes this team so special is I think they were playing D football for a majority of the game. Patrick Mahomes makes one play. Tyree Kill's in the back of the end zone. They score a touchdown. They get the momentum going, and it pretty much spelled the end, I think, for the Los Angeles Chargers. Definitely, and in that sense, what's kind of the main concern that you have with this Chiefs team after the first two games? You know, you got that game, it was a little bit closer than expected. The Texans, they kind of take care of business. What, what would you think the main concern would be right now? I'd probably say the two biggest concerns with the Kansas City Chiefs, number one, I would say their linebacker core and just tackling. Only one team in the NFL has given up or had more missed tackles than the Kansas City Chiefs, and playing against the Baltimore Ravens, if you're not going to be a sound defensive team, if you're not going to tackle, it's just going to be really, really difficult to beat them. I also would say, for whatever reason, this team just starts slow. Like, I don't know why they start slow, but four of their last five games, if you think about it, you date back to the playoffs, you think about the two games that they played so far this season, like, this team just gets off to really slow starts where against a team like Baltimore, where if you allow them to play for ahead and run the football effectively – Man, you're not getting down 17 to 6 late in that ball game and beating them. That's where Lamar and that running game really pounds you into submission. So I think for this Chiefs team, just starting off a lot more quickly is going to be maybe the biggest thing for the Chiefs. Yeah, and in that sense, Ravens fans always have a chip on their shoulder. But if you look at uh, you know the the two heavyweights in the AFC right now, I'd say it's Kansas City and I'd say it's Baltimore. Do you think that uh, you know Ravens fans thinking that way? Do you think Chiefs fans kind of think the same way that the Ravens are kind of the one team to keep an eye on, or are they just not even too worried about the competition right now? Yeah, I went on the uh, Big Bad Morning Show on uh, one hundred five seven The Fan earlier today, and uh, they asked me a similar question, and I think. Kansas City has respect for Baltimore, maybe doesn't look at them as their equal, but they definitely have respect for Baltimore. I don't think there's a whole lot of respect for the other teams in the AFC West, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, New England, Tennessee. I don't really think there's a lot of respect for those teams. Maybe some Chiefs fans consider those teams to be good, but they don't consider them to be legitimate threats. I do think with Baltimore, there's a look at it like we're the clear one, you're the clear two. But you got to prove it to us in the postseason where Lamar, he's only lost three regular season games. Two of them are against the Kansas City Chiefs. He doesn't have a playoff win yet. So if you kind of compare that with what Patrick Mahomes has done, he has four playoff wins and also won Super Bowl MVP, while Lamar Jackson hasn't won one playoff game. I don't know if Chiefs fans will maybe take Baltimore as seriously as Baltimore deserves to be taken until Baltimore can get over that hump in January. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And you mentioned Mahomes there. Obviously, you know, defending Super Bowl MVP and probably the best quarterback in the league right now. Who do you think, outside of him, who do you think is the most irreplaceable player on this Chiefs offense? I would say it's Tyreek Hill. I think he's what makes them special. I think the two best traits that the Chiefs have is Patrick Mahomes' improvisation skills and how you can play the perfect defense against Mahomes. And he scrambles to his left, he scrambles to his right, he makes a throw that just not many human beings like not football players, not many human beings that have ever walked the earth can make. And I would say Tyree Kill's speed, as we were just talking about in the game against the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers played Tyree Kill well for a majority of the game. 
He makes one play where he gets behind the defense. Mahomes makes an incredible throw in the back of the end zone, and it changed the course of the game where at that point you were like, all right, Kansas City's going to win this game. They, I've seen them win this game time and time again. So to answer your question, the most irreplaceable player on the team, I think, is Tyree Kill because he does so much on defense. I would say Tyron Matthew. Tyron Matthew just does everything. He can play safety. He can play corner. He can play linebacker if you need him to. Right now, the Chiefs cornerback group is really banged up with no Charvarius Ward, no Bashad Breeland. I mean, Matthew's done a really good job at that. Like, this team sort of goes as Tyron Matthew goes, in my opinion. Nice. And, yeah, God, that play was just a spirit breaker. As somebody rooting against the Chiefs, you just, you see him <laughs> dropping back. You know he's just going to heave it up, and you know Hill's going to be right there. So uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's insane to watch, man. Yeah, I think that Patrick Mahomes, man, I, I really think that he's Aaron Rodgers 2.0. You know, like we've got the ability or we've had the ability to watch Aaron Rodgers for the last, you know, 10 years, 12 years, like really dominate this league and just do things that you look at and say, man, I don't care that Brady has six Super Bowls. Like Brady is not more physically gifted than Aaron Rodgers. And a lot of the situation and teammates and all of that kind of stuff, man, I feel the exact same way about Mahomes, you know, just – watching every throw that he's made, seeing it up close. He just does things that not a lot of quarterbacks in the history of the league can do. And he just celebrated his 25th birthday probably about 10 days ago. I mean, we're talking about Mahomes might be the best under 25 player in the history of the NFL. Like, think about how many great players there have been. Guys that got off to great starts. Take the first two and a half years of what Patrick Mahomes has done and put it up against any player in the history of the NFL. Like maybe Jim Brown is the comparison, but Brady wasn't this. Russell Wilson wasn't this at age 25. You know, he is just on an incredible trajectory. You look at his talent, like you mentioned there, it's off the charts. It's peak Rodgers. It's peak Favre. I don't think anybody else really compares. Uh, and it's the talent, and it's his, his fit within this offense, I think. I mean, there's no example of this attack really being stopped. It's maybe been slowed down in a couple games. If you were the Ravens defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, how do you think you would approach to trying to at least slow them down in this one? I heard something really good from Bill Barnwell, and it's kind of stuck with me this entire time, that good defenses don't stop good offenses. Free agency and injuries stop good offenses. That the league is built in a way where if you're Baltimore, it's just going to work. If it's Kansas City, it's going to work. The way Arizona and Kyler Murray is playing right now, it's just going to work. So, I mean, defensively, I would say your best two chances to beat Patrick Mahomes are this. You need to run the football effectively and keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. Mahomes can't beat you if he doesn't have his helmet on. So running the football, number one, is the best way to beat him. And number two, you have to get pressure with your front four. If you got to send five or six to get pressure on Mahomes, then you've lost the game because he's going to have one-on-one -on, -one on the outside with Travis Kelsey. He's going to have one-on-one -on, -one on the outside with Tyree Kill. And I'm sorry, your defensive players are just not good enough to one-on-one -on -one cover the Kansas City Chiefs over the spread of 60 minutes. And that's not even factoring in Sammy Watkins. We'll see if he plays in this game. McCall Hardman and a guy like Demarcus Robinson, who he's a guy who could have four catches for 50 yards in this game, like with Patrick Mahomes. And we haven't even talked about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their rookie running back out of LSU. So there's just so many weapons on this team that I don't know if in modern-day NFL defenses that you're really equipped to stop what Kansas City does consistently. You're a true pro because you were leading right into my next one here. If you, <laughs> if you had to sum up Edwards-Hilaire's game in just one word, what do you think it would be? 
let me give you, I guess, maybe more than one word, but I think we'll sort of fit it. I think he is Ray Rice. I think he is Maurice Jones-Drew. I think he could be Brian Westbrook. There were only one player last year in Division One college football who had more catches than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that – Last year, I thought one of the weaknesses with the Chiefs team from a roster-building standpoint were they were the worst rushing team amongst playoff teams. They're the first Super Bowl team to win the Super Bowl and have less than 25 yards a game – or 25 carries a game, excuse me, that if you're going to give them the ability to incorporate the play-action pass and also run the football effectively with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it just makes them that much more difficult to stop. But the Chargers did a really good job of – they made the Chiefs one-dimensional again. Like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire did not have a big numbers day. He had a couple of big catches out of the backfield. He actually had a big catch where the Chiefs could have won the game in regulation, but they had a penalty. They had a lot of penalties in the game against the Chargers. But uh, maybe to answer your question, dynamic. I think he is a dynamic runner. I think he has a chance to be one of the top 12 rushers in the NFL. I kind of think of him like Josh Jacobs. Like, I don't think Josh Jacobs is a top five running back, but I think he's really good. Where if that's your running back, you're really happy that you have Josh Jacobs. That's how I think Clyde Edwards Hilaire could be somewhere in that range. I like it. And uh, it's interesting because if you look at these couple games, these first two games, and you look at the numbers, they're on pace for, I think, like less than half of the amount of deep shots, 20 plus yard plays that they had in 2019. Do you think that's a function of uh, him being involved in the offense? Maybe them trying to just sort of take what the defense gives them a little bit more. What do you think that's a function of? I think it's probably the latter. I think the teams have sort of tried to take the big play away. Like they've only had one of those big plays to Tyree kill. It was funny. And some of it was because Clyde Edwards hilarious in the first game where every game that Patrick Mahomes had played, he had had two passes over 20 yards. He only attempted one in the game week one against the Houston Texans that some of it is taking what the defense gives you. Some of it is running the football effectively. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had the most carries that any running back has had since Patrick Mahomes has been the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, like most things, it's not one specific thing, but it's been a combination of the two. They ran the football really effectively in week one. It didn't really need to throw the ball down the field. In week two, I don't really think it was a lot of time to do that. I thought that the Chargers defensive line really dominated Kansas City so I don't think it was the time to really challenge the Chargers down the field. Absolutely. And uh, switching over to the other side here, you mentioned the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, earlier there. Who do you think are some of the primary tone setters on the defense outside of him? I would say that it's three people with the Kansas City Chiefs. I would say number one, as we talked about, is Tyron Matthew. I'd say number two is Frank Clark. We'll see if he plays. He's had this weird stomach issue for the last like season and a half, so we're not really sure if he's going to play in this. We'll find out on Thursday whenever Reed and Mahomes talk and sort of the preparation for the week because it's on Thursday. And Chris Jones. I mean, Chris Jones is one of the best defensive uh, players in the NFL. I would say those three. Uh, they also have a rookie corner, um, LJ Sneed, Legereus Sneed. I've been calling him Legereus. Uh, had that interception, been, right? Yeah, he's been an absolute uh, diamond in the rough. He was a third, fourth-round guy on Louisiana Tech. Uh, he's been one of the best corners in the league. Like, it's not just uh, he's been good for the Chiefs. Like, put his numbers so far up against any corner in the league, and I think they'll be pretty favorable. He's been a diamond in the rough. As we were talking about, I mean, the Chiefs uh, cornerback group is pretty banged up. Like, right now, you know, NFL fans will not know who their cornerbacks are. You have uh, Legereus Sneed, Rashad Fenton is a corner. They play a lot of Juan Thornhill, who's their safety, coming off an ACL tear. Tyra Matthew plays a lot of corner as well. 
They have a Bo Peep Keys who they drafted out of Tulsa. Like, it's a real who's who right now at corner if you're the Kansas City Chiefs. And Keenan Allen had a good day, didn't have a great day against Kansas City, but had a good day. That's one place that I think that Baltimore can maybe expose, especially with that play action. You got Mark Andrews over the top, or you got somebody like Hollywood Brown, who's, you know, one of the nice, dynamic, young wide receivers in the NFL. That's one of the places I think Baltimore can have an advantage. Yeah, for sure. And looking at having an advantage, I mean, the Chargers, they were able to move the ball a little bit on this unit last week. Is that what's like, what would you attribute that to? Do you think it's sort of due to Herbert kind of getting in there at the last minute as a sort of fluky starter? What do you think some things you would point to are? I think that first drive definitely was. If you go back and watch it, I mean, that first drive was easy from the Chargers. It was kind of like, all right, they got to sell a little bit. Like we talked a little bit about the Chiefs starting slow. They do that sometimes defensively, too. I've made this point on my show. I don't need the Chiefs defense to be great. Like their offense is good enough, and your expectation is the Chiefs should expect to score at least 30 every single time they go out and play. And if they don't score 30, they should feel like they did something wrong. Like they left points on the board. So all you need the defense to do is to consistently hold teams under 27 points. That's all you need them to do. If they can do that, the Chiefs are going to win 14 games this year and be the favorite heading into the playoffs. To me, that's all you really need the defense to do where <clears throat> excuse me, the Chargers scored 14 points in the first half. No, they only scored six in the, in the second half in overtime where they really settled in defensively in the second half and – they held the game close enough, which allowed Mahomes and the offense to eventually break through and make the one or two plays to go out there and win. But you don't win that game without the defense. The Chargers had first and goal from the four late in that game. The Chiefs stopped them. They then kicked the field goal, and then that led to the Chiefs kicking the field goal to go tie it up, to send it to overtime. And then, obviously, we know what happened in OT. Right. And looking at the Ravens offense versus this D, I'm really fascinated by what I've seen from them so far because you've got that first game where it's just Lamar – dropping back, being surgical against the Browns, a lot of pocket passing. Then you go over to Houston, and it's sort of bullying the Texans with this rushing attack and Mark Ingram taking a wildcat snap to basically ice the game. Knowing what you know through these first two games about the Ravens offense, how would you choose to attack the Chiefs defense in this one? I know you kind of already hit on it a little bit, but maybe it's too yeah, no, that's No, you're good. Uh, I, would, I, I would run the football. I think the, char- I think the Ravens win this game if you're running the ball between 35 and 45 times. That's how the Ravens want to play. If you think back the first time these two teams played when – I actually think Baltimore outplayed Kansas City. Just Patrick Mahomes made a play late. Remember that fourth down play, that big play to Tyree Kill, yep. where that just flipped the course of the game. Like I thought Baltimore played them really well. They ran the ball 40 times in there where I said this today on my radio show. This is one of those styles makes fights, you know, where Kansas City has a certain style that they want to play if they get you to play their game, where if Lamar Jackson is throwing the ball 30 or 40 times, it's probably not a game that they win. So I looked this stat up today. The Ravens are 3-2 and two whenever Lamar throws the ball more than 30 times. They are 14-0 and 0 when he runs the ball at least for 70 yards. If you want to extrapolate out to 50 yards, they're 17-2. and two. So when he's running the football effectively, and they haven't lost many games since he's been a starter, but if he runs the football effectively for 70 yards, you're just not beating him because he's going and he's in rhythm, and it also just opens up so much when it comes to the play action. And again, as I said earlier, the Chiefs, like, they just don't tackle well. The linebacker core on this team is by far and away the weakest unit on the team. And that's a place where you can exploit. Another stat I'll throw at you is 
Last year, Kansas City gave up 960 yards to running backs last year. So this is somewhere where J.K. Dobbins could eat out of the backfield, somewhere like Mark Ingram throwing it to him out of the backfield and Gus Edwards and throw it out of the backfield. That's how I'd attack the Chiefs defensively. Cool. So I'm already kind of setting you on the path here. So this is a Monday night football game. You know, ESPN's going to have that weird graphic of keys to the game or whatever for the Ravens. If you had to name like three bullet points for how they win this game, what do you think it would be? Uh, get pressure with your front four. I think that's the only way to, to really slow the Chiefs down defensively. you got to do that. I would say you need to control the tempo. Last year in the matchup between the Chiefs and the Ravens, you remember the Ravens were up heading into the second quarter and the Chiefs absolutely blitzed them where you then took away Mark Ingram, you took away the running threat, and then you forced Baltimore to play Kansas City's game, and that's not how you beat them. So I think it's controlling the line of scrimmage. I think it's running the football effectively. And this is one thing, too, that we haven't really talked about. I'm really curious to see what happens with Marcus Peters and sort of his emotions. I was just watching this, uh, the I Hate Christian Leitner documentary on ESPN. It's a great documentary. And yeah, it's really good. And Coach K made a point in there where he was like, a fire can either give you heat or it can burn down the house. Where you've seen enough Marcus Peters to. Marcus Peters could have two interceptions in this game, and I wouldn't be shocked. He also could give up six catches for 152 yards, and Tyree Kill has an absolute field day where Kansas City turns his emotion and his aggressiveness against you. I think that Baltimore matches up defensively about as well against Kansas City as any team in the NFL. I'm actually picking Baltimore to win this game, and I'm sure we'll get into why I'm picking Baltimore to win this game. But, yeah, I think Baltimore matches up really well with Kansas City. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, man. The last thing we had for you was a little score prediction. Who do you think is going to win and why? I think 34-31 Baltimore. I think that this is one of those games where I think Baltimore just wants the game more. I think it's more validation for Baltimore. Like, Lamar was talking really big picture stuff of, hey, I've won MVP. I've done all this stuff, but i got to catch up to Mahomes. i got to do this. So I think it just means more. But I'm also not really sure how much it matters. I make this comparison on my radio show. I look at this like a November college basketball game. You know how early in the season, like, Kentucky plays Duke, and it's a really fun game, and we try to take these big conclusions on what it means. It's in, like, Hawaii or something. It's like, what's going on? Yeah, but it doesn't really mean anything because we know these two teams are going to be better later on in the season. Like, I can say this almost confidently. Whatever team Kansas City is in week three, they will be a better team by week 11. I would have guessed Baltimore is going to be the exact same way, and they've played fantastic, you know, but you watch them closer. There's some things you think Baltimore could tighten up a little bit and be sharper at where, to me, this is just a really good early season test. I would feel very differently if this was like a week 11 game where one team was week, you know, 10 and one, and the other team was nine and two. It'd be a much different scenario, but we all knew with no preseason sort of easing your way into it, it was just going to be a very different vibe. There's no fans in there. Who knows what fans are going to look like in January? Like I'm taking this game as a who's playing better right now whose strengths line up better with the other team's weakness. And with the way that Baltimore just seems a little bit sharper to me, with the way that they're running the football, the way the Chiefs are tackling, I think Baltimore wins this football game. Wouldn't be obviously surprised if Kansas City wins this game. It is a coin flip, 50-50 game. I think if these two teams play 10 times, I think both of them win five apiece. I just think in this game, I think Baltimore finally gets theirs. It's sort of validation for what they've done in the regular season. But Baltimore is going to always have to answer, well, what did you do in the postseason where they're in the same place that Patrick Mahomes was after the AFC Championship game? 
hey, you've done all the cool stuff. You've been on the cover of Madden. You're cool with LeBron. You know, you're the MVP. You got the hair. Like, you are a celebrity. I would say at this point, there's no doubt in my mind that Lamar Jackson is a superstar in the NFL. Superstars win playoff games. Superstars have the ability to elevate not only the player themselves, but the play around them. And the last time that we all really focused in on Lamar Jackson, he did not look like a superstar in that game against the Tennessee Titans. So I think this is a validation, prove it game more for Baltimore than for Kansas City because they proved it. So 34-31 Baltimore. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm going to be picking the same thing. Spoilers to everybody for you know a little handshake coin flip win for the Ravens that has no bearing other than home field advantage maybe at the end of the season. Yeah, and we were talking about that today on the show. And I mean, it's it's week three of the NFL season. I get why everybody's saying this could decide home field advantage. I mean, Baltimore has won what fourteen consecutive regular season games, fifteen consecutive. Like they're not winning thirty-one of thirty-two regular season games. They're going to lose to Pittsburgh. At some point, they'll split the home and home. Baltimore will get one. Pittsburgh will get one. They'll lose another game. They're not supposed to lose because it's the NFL. You know, these are two, three and 13, 14 and two teams. So obviously, this game means a lot. But this year, home field advantage might not have the same importance that it typically has. Obviously, you want the buys. So it's, it's to me, it's about who's playing better football toward the end of the season. And I don't really think this game gives us a very clear picture. I'm telling you, this is a November college basketball game. This is Duke UCLA in the second week of the college uh, basketball season. It is a fun game to watch. It is really enjoyable. It's up and down, but we know come March, it's, it's a very different game. It's about how your team is positioned. So that's kind of how I'm approaching this game. I'm not going to get too high. I'm not going to get too low. I don't expect either team to blow each other out. I just want I want both sides to come out of this game healthy, and I want to see a good, well-played game because they both got way bigger fish to fry than in week three. Great stuff, Carrington. You're a true pro. Thanks for your time hopping on here. And uh, where can our people find you on the uh, social medias? Just give me a follow on Twitter, at uh, c.harrison. You can catch me on 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City. You can get that on the radio.com app. And I uh, host the Harrison Experience on CBS Sports Radio every Saturday from 6 to 10 Eastern. So I appreciate you having me on, man. If you want to do one of these after the game is over and sort of recap it, I'm happy to do it, man. Thanks a lot for having me today. Love to hear it, man. You have a great night. You too, man. Thank you. Bye. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>